Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am Kristen, your technical cat, and our intro is a little bit different this week because we're bringing you the second part of Stacy's interview with Dr. Sarah Pisano. Uh, Stacy LeBaron is, of course, our host, and she has been involved with helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The purpose of this podcast is, of course, to help you turn your passion for cats into action. And this interview is part two with Dr. Sarah Pisano. She is a veterinarian who's been involved with animal welfare for over 30 years and she has extensive experience helping shelters move away from euthanasia as a means of population control, and she helps municipalities revise public policy to be more animal-friendly. So if you haven't listened to part one, I suggest you go back and do that, and if not, let's get right into the interview right now. Sarah, I'd like to turn to the second part. I'd like to ask you to put on your uh, Team Shelter USA consultant hat on. So... I think that I'd be interested to hear you obviously are, are consulting with, with organizations like all across the country or in touch with organizations all around the country. You have a sense of sort of what's going on. Do you have any ideas or thoughts of, you mentioned South Carolina. Are there specific states that are at the top of your list that you're most concerned about with like the lowest save rates? Yes. And really kudos to best friends for the last over a year, probably closer to two years, they have been working diligently to actually gather statistics and get raw data. So we do know those hotspot states. And when we talk about save rates, we have to remember that it's a function of population, right? And density of population of people. So we are looking at the numbers of animals euthanized. So the top states are Florida, California, Texas, Kentucky, Georgia, those, and then Mississippi and Louisiana were, we don't have a lot of the data, but we think those are high up there too. So that's really where we're trying to concentrate our efforts because we know that those are the number where the numbers of euthanasias are happening, not necessarily the percentage, but the numbers that need to decrease. Understood. That's great. It's a hot list. I, I like lists. I'm a person who loves lists. So it's like have a big strategic list and start working at it. And then I would say within those, within those states, you would get, you know, the, the 10 municipalities that have either the highest, the lowest save rates or the highest uh, poverty rates. Either one of those you could convince me easily to go with to try and put programs, community cap programs in those areas. Absolutely. So if you were working with someone who uh, would be interested in embarking on such a program and maybe didn't feel confident that they had access to a large foundation, you know, like Joni Bernard or, or other organizations, Maddie's and, and other, you know, there, there's so many great funders out there, but if they felt they didn't have that kind of access, would you feel comfortable advising a group to try and implement something like this as well as, you know, this type of a program within their community? I mean, how would you recommend somebody do that if they didn't feel they had access to, to large grant dollars? Absolutely. And remember, grants are hard to come by. So we can't survive on grants alone, right? Just like you can't survive on bread alone. <laughs> so you really need to look at 
sustainability. And I'll tell you that Greenville County, South Carolina did this brilliantly. Year one with us, they decreased cat intake by 2,000 cats. And those 2,000 cats were instead, those were community cats that came into the shelter. Instead, they sterilized them and put them back out. And guess what? It was budget neutral. So every municipality can do this as long as you have your, you know, you're doing either sterilization on site to keep the cost down, or you can have subsidized programs, but it is doable. So you don't need millions of dollars. You need to allocate your pie of resources intelligently. So that's really the key. And then once you start this program and life-saving, you're changing your municipal shelter. Boy, people come out of the woodwork to support you. So I have a a concern, which is the topic of spay-neuter deserts. I find that there's a lot of challenges, even if you can find the money or be able to reallocate, being able to find uh, spay-neuter providers that are physically accessible to the community can sometimes be a challenge. And it looks like, at least with Kentucky, you used a combination of high volume, high quality spay neuter clinics, as well as private practices. Do you have any sort of thoughts about, you know, how we could overcome some of these challenges? Absolutely. And this is such an important lesson. And part of this NKAD story is when we were developing this program, we went to all the veterinarians and said, what would it take for you to be involved? We really would love for you to help with this program. And so, yes, this program in the eight counties, there are eight private practice veterinarians and two, three high volume spay neuter program clinics. And it, I think the reason that they joined and why it's been successful is number one, we asked them what, what it would take, right? Instead of sort of imposing, this is what we're going to do, take it or leave it. We said, help us develop this program so that, you know, we want you to be part of it. Number two is they get reimbursed every month. And that reimbursement process is very easy. They always get their checks on time. And I've worked again, as you know, all over the country. And one of the big issues with private vets is they say, I tried working with the County and they never paid me. And, you know, so that piece of it has been, um, I think, instrumental. So in the resource deserts, yes, you have to have private practices as part of this whole big picture. And I think that helping them or finding out what it would take and having them help you develop the program is really key. Yeah, I I feel like our next step for success for the community cats is really finding a much more solid place for private practice to be in that picture. Yeah. And I think, you know, it always helps if you have, um, the ferals, which again is a small part of this picture going to those high volume, because that's one of the barriers we found with private practices because they're not used to working with ferals, but with your, your friendly community cats, it can work really well. So a friendly community cat, not necessarily an owned cat, because I know that there's also, there's some ownership issues too that sometimes 
gets in the messy in the conversation? Well, so here's the thing. When we revise ordinances, as you know, most cats that enter shelters don't have any identification. And so in the ordinances, we define the community cat as one whose caregiver slash owner is unknown. So and they have no identification. If they came into the shelter and they had identification, then they wouldn't, we would obviously contact the owner and go that avenue. But um, it is really, it's not an issue because we don't associate them with an owner. So there's not an ownership issue. And the same thing with abandonment. This is not an abandonment issue because we're putting them back to where they were found and where they, their home is. Um, I was wondering if you'd be willing to share with us a little bit uh, about the work that you are doing serving on the steering committees for Best Friends and the Million Cat Challenge. Yes, really exciting. You know, Best Friends has um, the goal of obviously making the country no kill. And so there was 11 of us asked to be on the steering committee and they have divided the country into eight regions and again, focusing on those shelters with the highest raw number of euthanasias and saying, what do you need? How can we connect you? Um, How can we help you? So it's really strategizing and getting support around those shelters that are still euthanizing for space or for population control, if you will. So that's really exciting. And we've had several regional meetings with a variety of organizations in a region. I am going to be actually in the Kentucky meeting in a couple of weeks where we will be strategizing about the state of Kentucky. There's a lot of great work already being done. Dr. Gaskill at the University of Kentucky did a comprehensive analysis of shelters in the whole state. So we do know where those hotspots are. So again, just about focusing on those shelters that are lagging behind and helping them. So that's been really exciting. Million Cat Challenge is just still astounding that we have exceeded our goal in less than five years. And there'll be a big announcement and party at the HSUS Expo. But the Million Cat, I find that just a phenomenal example of what we can do just by connecting people and helping them and supporting them. So as you know, those initiatives are quite simple. All the things that we all talk about, alternatives to intake, return to field, live outcome programs, quickly getting them out of the shelter. So now the Million Cat Challenge, the next level is how can we just help all the cats, you know, now that we're so close to ending euthanasia as population control, how can we save all the cats and prevent those unwanted births and such? So we're looking at next level. We actually just got back from the Billions Institute Change the World School, which I know it sounds like a joke, but people say, where were you? I said, I was at Change the World School, but It's an amazing, amazing, gosh, Stacey, if you have an opportunity to go, it's an amazing experience. They do it quarterly and it's about scaling your work and you are with change makers in all different sectors. So amazing similarities between what we are faced with as change makers of grand, large scale change. So the million, we just got back with the million cat challenge. Um, and again, Our goal is to 
link and help those shelters that are still euthanizing for space. And we want them to know that we're here to help them and there is a better way. So again, encouraging all your listeners to reach out to anybody, you know, in other shelters that might not be part of the million cat challenge, but what a positive, just amazing between best friends and million cat challenge, just such positive, supportive, encouraging movement. Wonderful news. I mean, so many great thoughts and actions there. And it's the big challenge is being able to get all those great ideas down to every community cat. I always try and think of, you know, no cat left behind type idea. And so, you know, how do we speed pass everything down through to that, that cat? And um, I think that's going to be the greatest challenge for us over the next couple of years. Yes. Celebrating the welfare of all cats, the International Cat Association is the world's largest genetic registry of pedigreed cats and the number one registry for non-pedigreed cats and kittens known as household pets. Whether you adopt or shop, the International Cat Association is the one-stop shop for all cat lovers. The International Cat Association is more than 6,000 members in 104 different countries who all speak the language of cat lover by helping make an impact on the health and welfare of all cats. Members serve to educate and foster responsible spay-neuter awareness in local communities and are active volunteers at local animal shelters and outreach programs for schools and or senior and disabled citizens. The International Cat Association members also take active roles in numerous citizen advisory groups to foster responsible legislation regarding the health and welfare of cats. To learn more about the International Cat Association, go to www.tica.org. Do you struggle with self-care and taking time for yourself? Recharge and reconnect with your passion at the Rescue Me Retreat, a four-day, three-night getaway for animal caregivers, volunteers, and activists that focuses on managing compassion fatigue and burnout. During the retreat, you'll be surrounded by a small group of people that share your passion for helping animals. You'll be given a safe space to talk about some of the struggles that are inherent in animal welfare work, plus the opportunity to slow down, relax, and have fun. The Rescue Me Retreat will be held from June 29th through July 2nd on beautiful Lake Michigan and includes healthy meals, nature hikes, massage, group activities, and discussions, one-on-one sessions with compassion fatigue therapist Jennifer Blau, access to the beach and water activities, yoga, and more. Learn more at thecompassionfatiguepodcast.com slash rescue-me-retreat and get $100 off if you register before April 1st. You spend so much time taking care of others. You deserve this. Dr. Pisano, if you had any key insights to share with our listeners who may be struggling with the fact that, or they're feeling that they're just, you know, swimming against the tide at all, at all times, you know, what sort of, uh, I guess I would say, you know, keys to success or any tips that you would have, you know, for what would be the first step somebody would take? Yes. And from my perspective, I feel everyone who cares about cats, whether they work in the shelter or doing TNR or just a member of the public, there is always a piece and a role that each of us has to play. And that I think is exciting that we have a lot of potential in our communities to stop what's happening in shelters. So number one is 
keep cats out of shelters, period. And dogs, of course, but we're here on the community cat podcast, (laughs) Um, but had to throw that in there. But remember that this is a, a artificial, terrifying experience for cats. And we do the best we can trying to keep them comfortable in a shelter, but it is so incredibly stressful. So if you know someone or you feel like you have to give up your cat, I'm probably, I'm preaching to the choir here. Your listeners wouldn't surrender a cat to a shelter, but seeing how we can work together in the community to prevent a cat from going in the shelter. Number two is access to spay neuter. So um, fundraising and grants certainly can be a piece of it. Um, seeing how we can subsidize those community cat surgeries, because that is a barrier for a lot of caregivers. And that's how a lot of people get in trouble when they, you know, two cats become 20 cats become 70 cats in a short period of time. So helping those people at two cats, um, that access to spay neuter is crucial, crucial, crucial. And then, The other part of it is I think that people feel that if their ordinances don't allow for community cats, I often get the comment, well, we can't do that because it's against our ordinance, period. So when when I was presented with that statement, I said, well, I'm just going to need to talk to somebody. So who's the decision maker? Is it commissioners? Is it a mayor? Is it a county administrator? And, um, and I found 100% of the time, you mentioned my track record, 16 out of 16 times, I have been able to revise ordinances. And we're talking Texas, Kentucky, South Carolina, Florida, you know, Georgia. These are not easy places to update ordinances. But I found that when I educated the municipal leaders and said, look what you're doing here, you are handcuffing your shelter, you're, you're wasting an enormous amount of money when you could be doing a little bit of a proactive piece of this and not have all those costs on the other end when caps flood into your shelter. Not to mention your enforcement calls for complaint calls for cats virtually disappear. So municipal leaders, Stacy, they don't know. They don't know this, right? So I found that it was just a matter of educating them. And they're like, oh, that makes sense. Where do we sign? You know, but they didn't know. The other part of it is um, stray holds, right? So less than 1% of the 50 plus shelters that I did, less than 1% of the quote unquote stray cats were returned to their owners. But yet the stray holds were three and five days. So when we do shelter new to return, we're returning 100% of the cats home. So, right, why are we holding cats hostage? It doesn't make sense. So when we educate them, go, oh, that makes total sense. Yeah, where do we sign? You know, so I think that was very surprising and humbling for me. You know, I thought I was going to be facing a battle that I could, you know, we would really have to. And, you know, it does it doesn't take overnight, but it really has been a matter of education. So what do you see happening in the future role for shelters with regards to cats, many areas in New England, they have a very substantial shortage with regards to cats and kittens. And so their infrastructure, you know, the architecture of these buildings are set up for 
quite a high population of cats and kittens, and they're not necessarily very close to capacity um, much of the year. Um, so ideally, this will happen all across the country. So what, what do you see for the future for shelters and their role with regards to community cats? Stacy, that's a great question. And I'll tell you that when I talked about this program at one particular high volume shelter handling over 14,000 animals a year, they said, well, what would we do if we didn't have cats in the shelter, right? So their perception of like, we have to have more cats, right? To help. Quote, unquote. So the thing is that it's never a good thing to take an animal into a shelter. There, it's always going to be a negative consequence, starting with stress, overcrowding, infectious disease, all those things. What our goal is at the national level, whether with the Million Cat Challenge and Best Friends, is that our shelters become community animal resource centers so that the only animals going into those shelters are your victims of abuse, neglect, abandonment, true abandonment, animals who have no other place to go. So that people needed to place their their pets perhaps it would be um outside through a network they don't have to come in the shelter but if they did it was almost like a pass through like a hotel you know so that's how we see um animal welfare and that's our goal that these shelters would become resource centers and not a place that the public triggers Oh, I can't keep my pet anymore. Let me just drop them off at the shelter. So then there's a whole revenue conversation in there and budgeting and really a, a change in, in programmatic sort of looks because you know, we have organizations here that are adapting out kittens for $300, $350 like puppies. And so, you know, it's, it's very important for their, their bottom line because the cats that, that are coming into them, you know, are the, you know, old, odd and dysfunctional. And they usually all need, you know, dentals and extra care and thyroid medication. And so it is becoming a challenge for these shelters that are used to handling a population of kittens, as well as cats age five and under that are relatively healthy, very easy to spay and neuter, get boosted on vaccines, whatever, get them adopted out, turn them over. That provides a good cash flow that's quite predictable. And that source is going away very quickly. And so what, how do you raise the revenue to basically cover for the costs of that older population, which is what's inevitably coming through the doors? So Stacy, this is about perspective. So first we have to say to ourselves as a shelter that's charging $300 for an adoption, am I here to raise money on the backs of animals or am I here to save animals? Well, I'm here to save animals. And as a nonprofit, it is my responsibility. And I'm talking the board and the executive director as a whole. It is my responsibility to raise money in other ways, not through the adoption fee. And HSUS did a brilliant, I use this as my Bible when I speak about best practices, adopters welcome about open adoptions. Low adoption fees are linked to low lengths of stay. And again, get going into the shelter, we have to think is all negative, right? Include what I just mentioned, stress and infectious disease from overcrowding and all those things. So we need to think about certainly fee waived for cats, but 
this is a very common problem I see in nonprofit animal welfare organizations. And I think it's because we have concentrated so much on the animals that we're not good fundraisers. So we need to learn how to be good fundraisers and raise money in ways other than the adoption fees. But interesting that you brought that up because I did have the same question from a shelter. This was actually in Canada. And they said, you're suggesting decreasing intake while our funders want to save shelter animals. So what should I tell the funders? And I thought, again, this is about perspective. Your funders want to save shelter animals because they're in the shelter, but really what they want to do is end homelessness. Do you see the difference? Your funder, all of us, wouldn't we be so much happier if all our animals were sleeping on a king-size bed on a down pillow? Of course we would. So you have to shift the perspective of the funder and those philanthropists like, hey, we want, we want to end the homelessness and we want to prevent shelter intake and get everybody on board with that. As opposed to, I have to have a sad face behind a cage door. That is, we need to change the perspective for, for the funder on behalf of the animals and put yourself in the, in the place of those animals, those dogs and cats. The last place they want to be is a shelter. That's fantastic. Great way to put that. So Dr. Pisano, if uh, folks are interested in reaching out to you, how would they find you? Sure. My email is Dr. Pisano, P-I-Z-A-N-O, at teamshelterusa.com. And my consulting firm does everything from soup to nuts. So I have hourly clients. I do shelter and community assessments. I may help a community just with the public policy piece. I work all over the country. I help funders designate their donor dollars. So I have really a wide array of um, animal welfare, um, strategic planning um, opportunities. And is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? I just want to encourage everybody. I know that I am probably preaching to the choir. Please reach out to other shelters in your area or anywhere else to make sure they're part of the Million Cat Challenge, to get them connected if they're not a Best Friends Network partner. We really want to come alongside those shelters and make sure that they get the help they need and know that there's a better way than using euthanasia as population control. Dr. Pisano, I want to thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show, and I really hope we'll have you on again in the future. This has been an incredible conversation. Thank you so much, Stacey. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 